And I'm thrilled to welcome in Bruce Miles to the program. Bruce is a fellow Loyola alum, and he is semi-retired, as he says, after more than 20 years on the Cubs beat for the Daily Herald. And I've seen him at Loyola Athletics, The Athletic, and all kinds of stuff he's working on. He's got a new book out called The Phenom that we'll talk about. And Bruce will join me now. Bruce, how's semi-retirement going, my friend? I think you got to put the word semi in there and stress that over retirement. I've been busy, but it's been all good. Done some stuff for Loyola, a lot of things, and happy to do so. Uh, some things for the athletic over the winter time. Uh, uh, some work for a group called Athletes Unlimited, who will be starting up a softball competition uh, this month in Rosemont. And uh, just finished a baseball-themed novel called The Phenom, which I wrote with a, a nice man from the north suburbs named Jack Schneiderman. Yeah, that's very cool. Let's talk about that book. I didn't even know you were working on it until you put a tweet out there. And I see, is it available on Amazon now? It is available on Amazon. It is available on Barnes and Noble in uh, hardcover, paperback, and Kindle. So whatever your pleasure, whatever your budget, there's uh, room there for, for everybody. Very cool. I have to get myself a copy and check it out. So what's this book about then? Okay, it was the brainchild of Jack Schneiderman. And he is a lifelong Cubs fan, and he's been kind of mulling this project over for a number of years. And originally, it was going to be about a Cubs run to the World Series. But if you recall back in, I think it was 2016, the Cubs finally got there, and I think they won the World Series. So we changed it up a little bit, and we made it centered around the Cleveland Indians. But the Phenom is a player who had been uh, – struggling with injuries, a top draft choice, struggling with injuries, and all of a sudden he has a breakout season. And uh, without any spoilers, he challenges some hallowed marks in the game. And uh, there's some social commentary in there as well. The, 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 he befriends a teammate who's openly gay. So it's, uh, there's a lot there, but it's a fun, breezy read. With me doing it, you know, it ain't going to be literature. So it's, it's, it's just a fun, <laughs> breezy read. It's a, a baseball season through the eyes of a baseball writer, kind of what I did for 22 years on the Cubs beat. Okay, so it's fiction, then. It's not nonfiction. Oh, it is fiction. It's a funny thing, because uh, I used to see Pat Hughes every day at Wrigley Field, the Cubs radio announcer, and one day he said to me, well, Bruce, have you ever written any fiction? And I said, Pat, every day. Or at least I've been accused of writing fiction every day. <laughs> so no, this is a baseball-themed novel. It's certainly not the great American novel, but it's a lot of fun. I think baseball fans will like it. It's a fun Breezy Reed and my uh, co-conspirator Jack Schneiderman was very kind to me and he actually put box scores in for every game. I don't know how he did it, but uh, his idea, his concept, and I helped him put the words to it and had a great time doing it. Well, that's very cool. And like you said, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and this isn't your first book though, is it? No, and the aforementioned Pat Hughes and I uh, collaborated back in 2007 on a book called Harry Carey, Voice of the Fans, which I still think you can get at different places. And it was a companion piece to, the, to a CD. Uh, Pat, over the years, has done a lot of CDs about baseball broadcasters from around the country. And this one was about Harry Carey. So it was a companion piece to that. Pat and I sat down for a number of sessions and starting in the spring of 07 and, and worked on it for a couple of months. I came out later that year and did quite well. Another fun project. And uh, who knows? Who knows where we go from here with this book business? Well, and you're semi-retired. You could write another book if you want. You've got that time, right? Oh, yeah. I'll just uh, get cracking on one right now. But, yeah, that's, there's always one in the work. I think every sports writer always thinks that he or she has a book uh, in themselves or two or three. And it's just a matter of sitting down and 
you know, gathering your thoughts and having the discipline to do that as you well know, being a writer yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I've thought about some stuff that I could write, but I'm not sure. I mean, I've only been student journalist so far, but we'll see if anything comes up down the road. I like to write and I've got enough time on my hands right now. So yes, we all do. Unfortunately, let's hope that changes sooner rather than later. Yeah. Well, well, we're talking about baseball. I want to talk about the game that's back now. Baseball's back. And I figure you've been on the beat for 22 years. we got to talk about the game. So Joe Kelly was suspended for eight games this week for throwing at Astros hitters. And I don't know if you saw my tweet about it, but that was eight more games than the Astros players got for cheating. So what, what was your thoughts about that situation? Yeah, and if you prorated over a 162-game season, I think somebody said that would have been around a 22-game suspension, which seems to me to be ridiculous. I, I could have seen a game. I could have seen nothing. Right, exactly. The Astros who cheated, none of those players were suspended. This guy goes up, again, up and in a little bit, taunts uh, a player or two, and gets eight games in a shortened season. I think it's ridiculous. Maybe a game tops on that or maybe nothing at all. Yeah, I, I can see some hard feelings there between the two teams, but I, I don't agree at all with that kind of a suspension. Yeah, I was, I was putting on my fan hat. For that one and I figured you putting the reporter hat on would kind of see if I was overreacting if I had a sound state of mind looking at that because I watched I was at the bar that night watching that game and it was it was actually fun to watch I hate to say that about like watching guys get angry and the benches clear a little bit but it was it was kind of fun to watch because I'm not a fan of the Astros right now and I'm sure I'm not in the minority there no, you're not. And Joe Kelly is kind of that kind of fun guy who likes to stir it up a little bit. In fact, in his bio in the media guide several years ago, he kind of made up a, a fantasy thing where he was the descendant of Machine Gun Kelly, a gangster who was famous, I guess, in Chicago in the 20s during the whole Prohibition era. So Joe's a little bit out there. Joe Kelly's a little bit out there. But, uh, you know, the Astros had to expect something. And maybe it won't be the last time that something like this happens. But again, Eight games over a 60-game season, totally excessive. Yeah, and he's appealing it, I saw. And I don't, do you think he's going to win the appeal? Or if anything can change with that, or do you think it's going to stay I eight think games? it'll get knocked down. A lot of times on these appeals, it gets cut in half sometimes, or I've never seen them, or I've rarely seen them totally overturned, but you do see them every now and then cut in half or cut by a third or whatever it might be. I, I fully expect that to happen here. Well, things are going to get a little more complicated because there are some COVID-19 outbreaks in the clubhouses now. We've seen the Marlins, which that's the one I want to talk about because I saw they blatantly broke protocol. And do you think baseball can even go on with all this going on? It's getting harder and harder by the day because the time is compressed, as we know. Now, the Cardinals have had an issue. Their series you know, in Milwaukee this weekend has already been cut short by uh, COVID cases. The Phillies have indirectly been impacted by this, the Yankees. So we're looking at either a lot of makeup games or we're looking at cutting seasons short for some teams. And with eight teams in each league in the playoffs, somebody is really going to get, uh, you know, the short end of the stick here if they didn't play enough games and that would have given them a chance to make the playoffs. So it's really, really a bad situation. Situation. And, and to me, the fear is that we're running awfully close to shutting down the season before it really gets started, because if any more teams come down with this, or if any more games have to be postponed in the next week or the week after, boy, you're looking at a very difficult situation to get a season and a postseason finished. And it might be that 
a postseason goes well into November, and maybe you've got to go to neutral sites. So this is really bad at the start, and uh, I'm not really optimistic about it. Yeah, I, I'm glad I'm not the only one that's getting kind of pessimistic about it, just with all this and the outbreaks, what teams could be next. And I know Rob Manfred has said that the Players Association needs to, like, take responsibility or this could be canceled by Monday. And through the negotiations, I always thought, like, MLB was kind of – they weren't in the best light during the negotiations. But I also think the Players Association's kind of at fault for this because they were so against a bubble. Like, do you think bubbles would have helped – in this situation, like we're seeing with the NBA and NHL? I've heard both sides of that. I've heard people saying a bubble would not have worked because you have all these teams, but you had the two soccer leagues, and I don't want to forget them because MLS and the Women's Soccer League, the National Women's Soccer League, they both pulled it off using bubbles and had very successful, and in the case of MLS, still having a very successful tournament. NBA, NHL seem in this early stage to be pulling it off. Baseball, do you go to a place where it's 115 in, in, in Phoenix in and in a place where COVID is a hot spot? Do you go to Texas? Same kind of deal. You have two dome stadiums there. You have two in Florida. So it might have been worth a shot. I don't know if they would have pulled it off, but it certainly looks like it, in, in no, it would have been no worse than what they're doing now, which seems to be bordering on a disaster. Mm -hmm. And I heard the Marlins broke protocol, like going out to the hotel bar and everything as well. I think they left like the hotel, they were going out in the town and that's how this all started. And I personally feel like bubbles would have been an ideal situation. I know it was a non-starter with the Players Association. It seems like people kind of forget about that, that the Players Association was the one against the bubble and baseball proposed it. You're looking at a longer season in baseball. In some ways, I don't blame them because it's a longer season and you're away from your family and your kids for a lot longer time. So to make it work the way they wanted it, everybody had to be on board and follow the rules. You know what this is on the Marlins part? It's just dumb. I mean, how hard is it to say, don't go in bars? Everybody knows that you don't go into crowded bars like they did. And if they did, shame on them. And, you know, because uh, you've seen if this was a contending team that did that, then you're really talking about at the top of the standings, a, a real skewing of things. I know it's quote unquote, only the Marlins, but they have to play these other teams and their games will affect the standings. But I just think it was very dumb, very irresponsible, and very selfish on the players' part, you know, if they broke protocol like has been reported. Well, and you kind of hit on it. Like, this starts a chain. Like, they, they exposed the Phillies. Well, the Phillies could expose this team, and this team, it did. there's a chain that goes on. It feels like they kind of forgot about that. They were too worried about themselves that they forgot, no, you're impacting the whole league when you're going out into crowded bars. Like, I can tell you, I've been back home – in my hometown, it's a small town, albeit, but I went out to the bars the other night for, for my birthday. I turned 22, so my friends took me out, and the bars weren't that crowded. So we were, we were comfortable sitting in the bars, but when they're crowded, I don't want to be there. No, and my daughter had her 21st birthday, and we spent it in Ohio where she goes to college. Same deal. We were going to sit outside at the bar, but there was nobody in there. There were a couple of guys at the bar. So we were well social distance in this bar slash restaurant. So we didn't have any problem with that. Yeah, when you crowd in to a crowded bar, totally different story. Uh, just just irresponsible. And you thought people would have known better. But again, you know, you're talking young guys, athletes, they seem invincible. And, you know, it ain't going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. Well, and as the, as the, I mean, I'm 22, like I said, I've people my age are saying the same thing. And I, 
I mean, I personally think the Marlins, I think they should even lose a draft pick for this one because, I mean, that with the what they did, I mean, they got in the group chat and said, we're going to play regardless of the guys that are tested positive. I think that's worthy of losing a draft pick. Am I overreacting? Probably not. I don't know what the ramifications will be, but if so, it'd be a high draft pick and the punishment for that would be pretty stiff since the Marlins are expected to finish down in the standings. They would get a high draft pick, so it would be a punishment that would uh, be pretty severe whether they'll go that way or not, but I hadn't thought of it that way, but you know, you don't know what MLB is thinking here, especially since one team may derail the whole season. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now I w- let's move a little closer to home here because again, you were on the Cubs beat for 22 years. So we got to talk some Cubs. What about that bullpen? <laughs> Let me tell you, I did this on the beat for 22 years. I helped out with coverage nine or 10 years before I became the beat writer. And what I said and what I say every year is that the most fickle and finicky part of every team, good or bad, is the bullpen. Every team has bullpen issues. This, though, seems to be off the charts. And I always said, too, that the the bullpen that you start a season with is never the one that you end it with. In this case, in a compressed season, I don't know that there's a lot that they can do other than pick guys up off the scrap heap like they've done here in the last couple of days to try to plug in and plug out. I think what it means is you have to give a shorter leash to a guy like Kimbrell, who's been disastrous from last year up until this year. Everybody remembers that Cardinals game on the Saturday afternoon in September last year, what happened the other night and, and, and beyond that. So uh, if there were fans in the stands, the, the booing would be off the charts. So even with a, um, a lengthened bullpen like they have, uh, it, it's going to be an issue, and I'm not sure that there's a whole lot they can do about it. On the other hand, if your starting pitchers only have a limited amount of starts that they're going to make this season, maybe they can go a little bit longer once they get stretched out instead of five or six. Maybe the starters can go six or seven if they're having a good night, six, seven, or even eight, and maybe take some of the heat off of that bullpen. And then maybe somebody else would be needed to close other than Kimbrell if this isn't going to work out. And I saw that David Ross went with Jeremy Jeffress in that game in Cincinnati when Kimbrell, it was, he went from, what was it, eight to one to eight to seven, and the bases were loaded in the ninth. And it was good to feel something watching that game, getting into the game again. It's been a while. But seeing Jeremy Jeffress come in, he got the, he got the next two guys, boom, boom. Granted, a little help from Joey Votto getting out of the way of a hit by pitch. And I forget who was before him, swung at ball four. But do you, do you think Jeremy Jeffress could see an increased role? Oh, yeah, I think anybody could. Uh, Jeffers has closing experience before in the major leagues. He was a pretty good closer at one time. These things have a a way of of, um, kind of repeating themselves. And I remember in years past, they picked up guys like Fernando Rodney and got some serviceable time out of him. There's no guy like a Chapman out there that I think is going to be available to them, a, a lockdown guy. So a lot of times over my experience with baseball is a closer emerges and it might be somebody that you had no idea who it was going to be. I go back to Oh three. When I covered that team, nobody had heard of Joe Borowski before they picked him up out of the Mexican league the year before he was a middle innings guy. All of a sudden he emerges as a closer and gets them all the way to the NLCS and did a great job all year. They may have to have that this year, whether it's Jeffress or whether it's somebody else who emerges. But I, I just don't think that Kimbrell's going to have a very long leash, nor can they afford to with him. And I know he's their $16 million man, so I feel like that's part of the reason you're still seeing him at closer. But I, I, like you said, I think they got to go with a shortened leash. But you've got the expert opinion. I just played high school baseball. So 
Yeah, and I don't think the manager figures money into that when he's making his decisions. I'm sure that he would talk with Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer and say, listen, we got a problem here. I'm going to go with somebody different. And I'm sure they'll say, that's fine. We'll worry about Kimbrell later. So it, it plays into a degree, but once it gets down to crunch time and a playoff spot and a possible World Series berth is on the line, a manager is going to do anything and he's going to go with whoever's going to get him there to, to close out those ball games and the money, you know, we'll forget about that for right now. Yeah, I would hope the manager wouldn't turn into that much of a puppet, but I mean, I feel like we've seen that occasionally with the younger managers, but on that topic, we're a week into the season here. What's your assessment, David Ross's manager? I think it's been going okay. I don't know if that's a long enough time to judge, but I've seen mm -hmm. some of the press conferences. He seems to be saying and doing all of the right things. Uh, I, I know the big concern was, well, is he going to be friends with the players? And, and I, I just think that's a totally misplaced concern. I saw him in the clubhouse for two years when he was a player. He would get on guys. Yeah, he's friends with guys. He's known Lester, but, you know, he's not afraid to take a guy. He took Lester out of the game with a no-hitter going after five innings the other night. So I, I just don't think that's a problem at all. But I think that, you know, all the early signs are good. We just have to give it time. Right now, the answer is we don't know but he seems to have all of the characteristics. Catchers seem to make good managers. He's been a leader on the field. Uh, he knows the game, and, and he certainly seems to have um, taken the opportunity and run with it here. So we'll see. That's all we can do. Talking with Bruce Miles here on WUWFM 88.7 on the Sunday Sports Shootout with Nick Schultz. And I, I agree with you, Bruce. I think David Ross is doing a good job as manager so far. And like you said, it's a small sample size. But I think the one hiccup he had was in Cincinnati when he kept leaving Kimbrell in there when he couldn't find the strike zone. I thought that was the, the one big hiccup he's had so far. Yeah, that, I mean, that's fair criticism, I think. You know, maybe he's looking at, this guy's my closer. I'm going to need him. Let's see if he can throw strikes. Let's see if we can build his confidence up a little bit. But that's definitely a, a fair point and a fair criticism. We'll see what happens. If it happens again, how he reacts to that. Then we'll have a little bit better idea. Mm-hmm. And I know the numbers aren't necessarily there, but I like Chris Bryant at leadoff. He's working the count a lot. I know he's, he's got, what, two, three hits total on the year, but he's seen a lot of pitches. I mean, what, what do you think of KB in the leadoff spot? I think it's probably worth a try. I mean, Joe Madden tried that with Schwarber a couple of years ago in 17, and it didn't work out at all. And I don't know if that was the reason for Schwarber's struggles or not. We could probably write a book about that as long as we're on the topic of books. But I got to think – Bryant, when he's healthy, is not just a good player. He's an elite player. And what you want is you want your best hitters up top now, especially in a short season, to get as many at-bats as possible. So with a Bryant-Rizzo 1-2, and then you can work in anybody else depending on the matchups. But I don't think it's a bad idea at all since you don't have that Dexter Fowler guy or the high on-base speed guy, whoever that might be. You don't have that guy. So it was going to be a... Uh, a hit and miss situation anyway, you might as well give this a shot. I agree. I feel like it couldn't hurt throwing him in the leadoff spot because you, you miss a guy like Dexter Fowler. But if Brian can come around and set the tone at the top, who knows what can happen? Because I know the leadoff spot was the biggest hole last year. And I know the numbers prove that too. Yeah, it, they did certainly. And that was one thing I kept track of the, the on base and so forth. They tried various guys there, uh, even Contreras got a game in at leadoff, as I recall, last year. And that Rizzo, one threw me for a tailspin when that happened. I about threw my phone. 
Yeah, that was always uh, the lineup east does uh, really go at it. Got after that. It was always one of those I'd post the lineup on Twitter and then duck. But, you know, you've got the greatest <laughs> hitter of all time and Anthony Rizzo there, too. And he'll tell you that he's the greatest of all time. And in a good way, I mean that. And uh, so he's also an option. So, you know, we'll see. But I, I think for right now, anyway, that Ross is committed to Bryant there. Yeah, I agree. And before I let you go here, I see, are you wearing your a Loyola Rambler shirt right now? Or I say Final Four? A Final Four shirt, just for the occasion. And I will tell you something <laughs> else. You, you mentioned those call letters, WLUW. I was a founding staff member. Now, I didn't found the station, but when the station opened in the fall of 78, I was there doing sports in a lot of ways like you are not quite as well because we weren't as sophisticated and didn't have all this technology but yeah so it's a it's a big Loyola day I try to uh, wear it as much as I can I've got a couple of final four shirts and a uh, final four hat so it's uh you always try to flash that rambler pride and there's a lot to be proud of isn't there with the um, with the academics with the athletics with how well they do with great point average with the the great coaches that you have and the the great sports information staff. So yeah, might as well flash that Rambler pride. Yeah, I'm, I'm wearing mine too. My just basic Loyola Ramblers 1870. But uh, since you're writing for the Loyola Athletics website, I got to ask you about the basketball team. If there's a season this year, obviously everything's up in the air with COVID-19. What do you think the Ramblers are going to do this year? Man, I, I'm liking it. I was talking with uh, Ryan Haley of the sports information staff the other day, and he was like, fingers crossed that we have a season because he says we, we, we've got, you know, some good recruits and some guys coming back. Almost everybody is back. And it's just uh, one of those things. Let's play this thing and find out, you know, we got to get over that hump in the MVC tournament. Uh, just a bad game, bad loss at the tournament this year. Make the free throws. Just saying. <laughs> free throws are free. I think somebody coin that term free throws are free I'm going to look into whoever that was but, uh, <laughs> I don't know who that was but you let me know <laughs> yeah yeah but but I'm liking it we got to my wife and I who's also an alum we got to three or four games last year we do the alumni but I like what they've got coming I, I like the kids that are coming back we'll see if Cooper Kafis can come back and hit those long-range shots from the three-point land uh, just a really really a lot of uh I think the, the program has been on the upside. I know last year was kind of a transition year where we both talked uh, at the start of the school year about you know how it was going to be that way. And you know, I thought this, the, the second half of the season last year, the team really came together well, just that unfortunate game in the MVC tournament. It would have nice, been nice to get another shot at Bradley, but uh, is what it is. And, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully this year they get to play some games, number one, and, and make that run to the tournament. I'd love to see it again. Yeah, I would too, especially now as an alum. I'm not writing about them for the Loyola Phoenix anymore. I could probably sit in the stands, or if I keep this blog going, I might be on press row. And since you're writing for the website, are you going to be on press row for any games? Are you going to be as a fan, assuming things get back to normal here down the road? That's an interesting question. I have to talk with Mr. Burns and Mr. Moser and uh, Ryan Haley about that. Maybe they can find a seat, but I'll tell you what, having – sort of retired from the business. It is kind of fun to be a fan. And the, over the last couple of years, we've gone to Loyola games and I've been a fan and it's kind of fun just to yell and uh, get frustrated when they're not doing well and all that kind of thing. Because I have to say the run to the final four was the most fun I have ever had as a sports fan. I agree. And I put that up. I was, I'm old enough to be around from when the U.S. hockey team won in 80, the Miracle on Ice. That was the other one for me. But th that Loyola run in 18, and I wasn't 
settled even when they went to the final four against Kansas State. <laughs> My wife is going, you could settle down. No, they've won. And I said, I'm still not convinced. But when they went to the final four, just getting there was, was such a thrill. So, yeah, it's fun to be a fan. Well, and here's something I've thought a lot about just from covering Loyola basketball for four years. I sat in the student section one game just to see how it was. I was struggling to be a fan again just from covering the team. Do you mm -hmm. find yourself that way with the Cubs? Do you struggle to be a Cubs fan after writing about them? Well, I'm all oh, a Chicago fan. I, for a while, I was a Sox fan. For a while, I was both a uh, little kid Cubs fan. My parents were divided. My dad was a Sox fan. My mom was a Cubs fan. So we had both games on TV all the time. But yeah, it is a little bit different uh, w when you do that. I think what, the way I look at it now is th there's guys on the team that I really like covering, and you kind of pull for them. But, uh, you know, I, I'll see if that emotional investment in, in baseball teams comes back. I, I'm, I'm having a good time following both teams now, the Cubs and the White Sox. I really like uh, Jason Benetti doing the Sox telecasts. Uh, Andy Mazur, who's done Loyola basketball, is, is the radio mm -hmm. guy now uh, after Ed Farmer's passing. So it, it's fun to kind of be that way. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, now with the, we talk about the hockey. Yeah, I'm all in on that uh, fan-wise with the Blackhawks. So we'll see how it goes with baseball. But right now, I think I'm like following guys that I like, Kyle Hendricks and you know, Lester and those guys, and, you know, hoping that they do well, you know, being as much of a fan as I can. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a good way to look at it, too. I do that with especially Loyola teams as well. The guys I like covering, I always pull for them. Like, now that I'm away from press row, I'll probably pull for them a little more. Been talking with Bruce Miles on the show today. Bruce, thank you so much for taking the time. This was a lot of fun. Oh, Nick, it was my pleasure, and let's do it again sometime down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we can talk in person instead of over Zoom next that time. That would be tremendous. I, I would love that. Anything to, one, get out of the house, and two, maybe come down uh, to one of the campuses and see some people. And I've already told the, the guys at Loyola, when we can do it, I'm going to come down. I'm going to see soccer games. I'm going to see cross-country meets. I'm going to see volleyball games. I'm going to see basketball games. So I can't wait till we're able to do this in person. Yeah, well, maybe I'll run into you at one of those. <laughs> I hope so. All right. Thanks again, Bruce. Take care, Nick.